Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will conclude our series, The Life of Jesus. We'll be doing so by taking communion and by sharing the testimonies from those who were affected spiritually and even physically during this last year of study. If you want to listen to the past messages from this series, you can do so through your podcast app, as well as on our website, brookwoodchurch.org forward slash messages. Also check out the Brookwood Ministries podcast where you can listen to other messages from our many ministries that go on here throughout the week. Our prayer is that you are blessed through this message. If I interviewed each of you, what would the name of Jesus mean to you? We have spent 43 weeks just reflecting on the life of Jesus. Because it is the name of Jesus that is our redemption. It's the name of Jesus that is our life. He told us he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He's the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul said that I would that I know no other than Christ and him crucified. He said to live is Christ, to die is gain. He even said, follow me as I follow Christ. So we've spent the last year taking a few Sundays off studying the life of Jesus. We began last December. And so today we separate the completion of this study. This, I think, was a a very fine book, The Harmony of the Gospels. And take out your outline as we begin. And our theme verse for today is, do this in remembrance of me. We're going to reflect on, and I will read many of the responses To the question, we gave out these cards a number of weeks ago. How has the life of Jesus impacted you? As I begin, we think about impact. I want to thank you for the many cards and notes and texts and even posts online of your concern, your prayers for me and for my family and the loss of my dear mother. I would say that Whatever prophet my life has been for Christ, she was the seed. She was the influence. She was the embodiment of Christ in my early years. So I thank you. I thank you for your generosity of spirit toward me and toward my family. One man wrote this. I believe I understand Jesus' life better. I love that we were taught about the most important question on earth. Who is Jesus? So I have taken that step, that question, one step farther. And asked myself, who is Jesus to me? And I've shared that question with others. This has been a wonderful, revealing revelation of Jesus In my life. So as we begin, I ask you to apply that question 
to yourself. Who is Jesus to you? What difference does he make? What influence has he had? How has he changed your responses to life? When we close today, we'll remember Jesus' life through his death, his resurrection, as we observe the Lord's Supper. For my message, I'm just going to focus on the words that, and the actions of Jesus in that upper room on the very night that Jesus would be arrested. And I'm going to just survey in a brief fashion a number of readings. I won't read them all, but in your book, reading 178 through reading 183. But we're going to look at what was said. What were the... What was the dialogue? What were the responses between Jesus and these disciples as they observed the Passover feast during the festival of unleavened bread? It was Jesus' last supper with his disciples. It's become our example for our Lord's Supper observance. So the first revelation from the Lord's Supper is that preparations were made by God. I'm reading from Mark 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples, Luke 22 tells us it was Peter and John, and told them, go into the city and a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him. Is that puzzling to you? Now remember, this is a national festival, religious festival. People have traveled from all over Israel. The city of Jerusalem is packed with people. They are staying everywhere, sleeping everywhere. The crowd, the city is thick with people. And the passageways were not wide. How could these two men, two men, disciples, Find one man. No cell phones. What? What's wrong with him carrying a water jug? He's right. Men didn't carry water jugs. Some of you men don't do housework at all. I'm saying you need to correct that. But this was not a function that a man would typically be involved in. So they found this man who was carrying a water jug and they said, and Jesus said, follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room for me to eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Now the point I want to make here is that the place was ready. It was prepared in advance. How many of you have a spare room that 12 men could have a dinner in? No, we have our spare rooms. They're full of junk and they're 
could have been guests sleeping in various spots throughout. But the point here is it was prepared. It was ready for what would take place. It was awaiting Jesus and his disciples' use that evening. Now, Jesus must have made the arrangements, but did he make them personally? Did he visit this man in advance? If so, the scripture says nothing about it. Or had this, this homeowner been just guided supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to make the room ready for a banquet? These disciples didn't carry plates and serving utensils with them from Galilee. But the room was ready. Just as he worked out the details for the Last Supper, God works out his plan in each of our lives to bring us to faith. Down to the smallest detail. He said, I'm not sure about that. We'll try Ephesians 1, Psalm 139, Proverbs 16, Proverbs 19. And just see the work of God sovereignly moving. For believers in Jesus Christ, there are no coincidences. Because God is working in his children's lives to bring them to faith. And that's included in this series, bringing some people to hear about his son. Several people wrote in their cards. We had in the neighborhood of 400 cards turned in and then others answered online. That they were brought to Brookwood either by friends or by relatives or by the Holy Spirit for this series. And that God used it to draw them to Jesus. And for many to resolve their doubts about him. One high school student wrote, and I was delighted to find responses from many high school students. But one high school student wrote, I came after the series had begun. But many of the sermons have changed my life. I don't understand all of it. But God is changing my heart to understand more. And he adds, thank you. You say, well, Perry, you said that, that God uses all of our circumstances. And, and, and we're just not the subject of fate that, fate that God is involved. But some of the things that have happened are, are awful. They're tragic. They're painful. That's true. And one man wrote of that. He, showed, he stated how God used illness to draw him. At the beginning of this series, I was diagnosed with cancer, leukemia. At first, I was devastated. But as I started treatment, I realized God was using this to speak to me. And through the series, I've been able to understand better what the Lord is saying. I can only say the cancer and this study have been a great blessing as I have never been closer to God. Here's a hard question for us. Are we willing for God to use whatever circumstances to draw us to him? 
Are we more concerned with having peace in this life? Or are we more concerned with being prepared for the next one? Because we don't get refined in pleasant ways. Have you discovered that? We learn dependence in desperation. We learn to hear when we have to have a word from God. And so sometimes what you think is the worst possible moment of your life is the best possible moment of your life spiritually. Is God using circumstances right now in your life to draw you to Jesus? I can promise you this. Your circumstances will work for good. Well, how can you say that? Well, I do have a condition. Romans 8, 28 says, For God works all things for good to those who love God. And are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 is a verse you must know. If you're interested in having words tattooed all over your body. Tattoo those words on there. I have to say I love it when these Hollywood folks get tattoos all up and down. And somebody misspells the words. Um, Another revelation from the Lord's Supper is seeing that our purpose is service. John 13. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet. Are you washing feet or are you propping yours up to be washed? Which one? Several people wrote that they'd been encouraged to take greater spiritual leadership in their families. And I call that service. That others had been called to begin working On their marriages, even to start counseling, to improve their relationships. Numerous people were encouraged to spread the good news about Jesus. Because they become aware of the life of Jesus and the love of Jesus. And they become more appreciative of their own forgiveness. As they've seen more clearly what it took to forgive them. One person wrote, specifically... The series helped to understand why I am in my current job, my current city, have my current neighbors. I am here to represent Jesus to those who don't believe. Another reason was this person was helped to understand why I am going through my current trials and hardships. To reach those who don't believe.
One woman was influenced to, to begin giving and to, to try to start supporting not only the church, but also the needy financially. Another woman said that Jesus had saved her within spiritually by showing himself during my abused childhood. And she says she's learned to use that purpose to help others. Have you thought of that? Your service, your pain is given to you to share with others. I can promise you this. God never wastes any pain if we will submit it to his purpose and to others' service. So has God influenced your life during this series? Toward greater service, toward additional giving, toward seeing the needs in others' lives and trying to fill them. During the Last Supper also, Jesus pointed out betrayal. Matthew 26. When evening came, he was, re- came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I assure you, one of you will betray me. Then Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. Now, none of us has betrayed Jesus in exactly the way that Judas did by turning him over to his enemies, identifying so he could be arrested and then he would be put to death. But there is a way that many of us have betrayed Jesus and are betraying him still by living as enemies of the cross. Paul writes it this way from Philippians chapter 3. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. What does that mean? It means their motivation in life is consumption. To gain more. Possessions, power, pleasure. To just keep ingesting what they want from this world. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Do any of us find ourselves there? Is the spirit right now saying, that's you. During this series, many people were caused to question their own spiritual nature. They questioned their true spiritual state. A young man said, what does it take to be saved? What is my role in this process? Am I reborn? This year-long study has challenged me. See, you commonly hear in Christian culture, never question your salvation. That's not biblical at all. The scripture says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Don't you know that you are unless you fail the test? Corinthians says, 
See, I think Satan would love for us never to question. I prayed a prayer at age eight, though there's no evidence in my life. I'm sure that what happened at eight has changed eternity. It's not a biblical approach. The biblical approach is to say, where do I stand today with Christ? Where do I stand today? One woman wrote, this study has affirmed to me that I have been born again by God's spirit. I'm 39 years old and have been in church since I was an infant. But I was born again just three years ago when the spirit showed me Jesus. The real Jesus. See, that's what salvation is. Salvation is not a human doing something, even something good. Praying a prayer, walking an aisle, being baptized, raising a hand. All of those are good human works. Salvation is by the Spirit of God. This lady says it perfectly. Showing you Jesus. It's an encounter that changes you. Others use these phrases. They said, one lady said, I've come alive. Another person said that her whole soul was set on fire. And several said their hearts were ablaze. Is your heart ablaze? When you hear the name of Jesus, do you feel that fire? Another woman wrote that That this series had showed me who Jesus really is. Before this series, I never had a real personal relationship with him. But now, I have even heard him speak. Thank you for showing me that a real two-way relationship is possible with Jesus. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced a personal two-way relationship with Jesus? You know that every relationship, by definition, is two ways. You can read all about someone in a magazine, but that's not a relationship, is it? A relationship is two ways. You say, but Perry, I can't really hear God. And so it even frustrates me when you say that. Don't, don't stop trying. How many of us got married and the communication wasn't very good in the beginning? We can't hear. Some of us have lost sensitivity, as particularly those who have grown up in harsh environments. So you can't feel the room. You can't understand the inflection in a voice. But you know what? As we get whole and as we get healed, we can hear. And as we come closer to Christ and he heals old wounds and self-recriminations and criticism, we start hearing. And we may not be sure, but we listen again. And you take what you think you hear and you confirm it in the scripture. Because what you hear will always be consistent with the scripture. So be careful. Sometimes people hear what they think is God and go off half cocked. If you ever do that and you say something that's not true, you'll be stoned. That's how prophets were treated in the Old Testament. So you hear what God's saying to your heart. But you check it by his scripture and with godly people. But faith is a two-way relationship. 
And the scripture is full of God speaking to his people. He's always speaking. Are we hearing? During the last supper also, Jesus predicted the disciples' denial. Matthew 26. Then Jesus said to them, tonight all of you will run away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's a prophecy from Zechariah 13, 7. Peter responded, of course, even if everyone runs away because of you, I will never run away. Now, what would you think about Peter if you're sitting in that room? Even if the rest of these cowards run, I won't run. I assure you, Jesus said to him, Tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter said, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. And every one of them abandoned him without exception. Now, you may not deny Jesus in this way. With We don't live in the same historical setting. But don't we deny him whenever we don't stand for him? Whenever we just keep silent because we fear that someone's response toward us will be harsh or, or not welcoming. So we say nothing. And don't we deny him when we live the way we want instead of the way we know he wants for us to live? And don't we deny him that instead of living a a scripture-led life, a Holy Spirit-led life, we live a self-centered and a self-directed life? Aren't all all of those instances of denial? A woman wrote that this series revealed my lack of a deep understanding of Jesus' character. Who he is, that he gave me a longing, and he gave me a longing to know him better. The series opened my eyes to my sin, my casualness with him, which is discrediting to him and sinful. And it's given her a deeper understanding and love for my Savior, Jesus Christ. A yearning to draw closer to him, to know him better. And she added, it's been convicting. Numerous people and at least two teenagers acknowledge that they saw in Jesus how their lives were supposed to be lived but fell short. And that they desired to become more like Christ. And to follow his leading and his example in their lives. Many people expressed the desire to know Jesus better. To to seek his answers to their problems. To live out their faith on a daily basis. To follow his guidance in every area of their lives. And several people also said that they had learned to listen to Jesus' voice. And some said they're hearing it more clearly.
Jesus forgave Peter and the disciples. He reinstated them. He returned them to service. You can see it in John 21. And he does to us. If you're a child of God, your sin isn't fatal. Your denial isn't the end of the line. He he reaches you when you're discouraged. He restores you and recommissions you when you're ready to give up in shame. Some of you have stopped. He's calling you back. He offers encouragement, restoration, and hope. And he does it through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. We can see this demonstrated in the life of Scott Slagle. My name is Scott. I've been coming to Brookwood for 10 years. Me and my wife started back in 2006. After I met her, we dated for seven years. We got married, were married for three. Last year, September 15th, she took her life. And, uh... It would have been just as easy for me to do the same thing. I mean, it actually goes through your mind. You know, you you don't know until you're in that moment, you know, what you're going to do. God had to have been with me. She was probably the most godly person I know. Read her devotional every day, prayed with us, made us pray for lunch, dinner, whatever meal. It could have been so easy to give up. The Lord must have been with me because I, I went the right way. I started focusing more on Jesus. I started reaching out because I, I had nowhere to go. Jesus was my light. I couldn't go nowhere else. I got in touch with the ministry team here, and one of the ministers came out to my to my home, and they prayed with me, talked with me, and uh, I started coming back to church. We used to sit up in the cheap seats at Brookwood, you know, not paying attention. You, it's so easy to get distracted. wasn't really I was a believer, but you know, it, it didn't hit home until after my wife died, and then it's like. Wow, you know, this is real, you know. I moved from the top all the way down to the front row, sitting first seat on the front row every Sunday. One of my friends here, he uh, got me coming to a small group. The care group got me in touch with a counselor to do grief counseling. Things just started to kind of fall in place a little bit better, you know. Then at the beginning of summer, I decided to be baptized my, my daughter and my grandkids, they all come with me now. And my dad, he's been coming with us. He's not crazy about the music and stuff, but he, 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 likes the, he likes the church. He likes the preaching. So my friend Mike got back in touch with me, wanted me to join the choir. So I'm like, well, you know, I can't sing, but I'll try it, you know. It's fun. We started it. First couple times, nervous. 
We're going through the life of Jesus. It shows how real Jesus was. It's like the lady at the well, you know, the Samaritan. That's what always comes to me. It's like she asks him, do you have a cup to get water? You'd think, oh, this is Jesus, you know, that they would be falling at his feet. And it's helped me a lot. I look at things differently. I, I think more of others now. I try to take their feelings into consideration more and what they're going through. I just want to keep following Jesus and stay on my path. Now we're going to remember Jesus through the Lord's Supper. Raise your hand if you did not get one of those little sacks like this. They'll come through and pass them out. You know, there may be someone here that says, you know, I came in here an unbeliever, but I don't want to stay that way. I'd like to receive Christ. And you just tell God that right now. Call on the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. And then you're ready to come to the table. You don't have to be perfect. No one will be turned away. During the Last Supper, Jesus also portrayed his sacrifice. Reading from Luke 22. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You know, the message of the Passover is that God delivers through judgment of sin by the death of a sacrifice, by the death of an innocent substitute. Now, through all those years, lambs were slaughtered during the Passover. But none of the deaths of animals removed sin from the people. Only the death of the one perfect lamb, Jesus, removes the sin from all, for all who would ever believe, who lived before, who lived after. Animals were never sufficient to truly deliver. But Jesus is. Then he took a cup. There were four cups in the Passover meal. This is the first cup, the cup of blessing. And after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread. Take yours from the sack. He broke it. Obviously, they shared a common loaf of unleavened bread. And he tore it to share it with all of the disciples. But the breaking of the bread was symbolic of his body that would soon be beaten. The next morning he would be lashed mercilessly until his body bled and his his bones and sinew and, and muscle shone through his back. The crown of thorns was pressed into his scalp until it bled. After his death, a spear was rammed into his side. 
His body would be abused. It would be beaten. It would be torn. And every bit of it would be to benefit you and me. And so he said, this is my body, which is given for you, which is broken for you, which is abused for you, which will die for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. And you take yours and you can go ahead and pull the top off. This third cup, there were four cups total. This was the third one. And this is the cup of redemption. And he said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. And they drank. If you've never understood before, I want you to personalize that Jesus had you in mind, that your sins filled his body and his mind. And that body was beaten and the blood was shed so you could be forgiven. Have you personally, individually benefited from his sacrifice by faith? If you have it, it doesn't leave you alone. You're not the same after you experience that. You're transformed and you're transforming Have you been born again? Will you be prepared to participate in that feast? And yes, drink that wine when Jesus returns. It might be today. Counselors will be here at the front. Please come forward now, counselors. You say, you know what? I don't think I've ever been born again. They'd be delighted to pray with you now, to speak with you, to counsel with you in an ongoing way. They're here to anoint you with oil for healing, physically, emotionally. So I'm inviting all of you, any of you, to come to the altar. You won't be turned away. Please stand as we worship together.
regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was born with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Come to the altar If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you guys so much for coming. We hope you have a blessed and safe Thanksgiving. But out of respect for the people up here, we're just going to leave quietly. Thank you so much.